Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, as I mentioned in, in my prayer this week um, on, I think it's Friday, we'll, we'll be uh, sending out a team of about four from Vision Church to Ecuador, uh, where we've had partnerships in, in ministry for the past uh, few years. And um, yeah, they'll be uh, connecting with the Joshua Project that we've uh, started and, and we're able to get um, get going last uh, during our last trip. So it'd be great if you could continue to, to pray for them. I think there were five goats. Uh, a couple of them ran away. One came back. We're still looking out for one. But we're on the plus side because one of them had a couple babies, which is really cool. Um, they're very cute. So um, continue to pray for that. That'd be awesome. Um, so I was thinking about Ecuador. I was thinking about our, our last trip there during the summer. And um, I forget how many of us went, but um, it was a really, really um, heart-touching, heartwarming trip. And so I was thinking about some of the images and the thoughts and the experiences of the trip um, divided in a couple of different places. But probably to me, one of the, the strongest images and the strongest emotions um, relates to um, a, just a brief couple-hour trip that we spent at an orphanage in, in Quito. Now, when the idea was presented for us to, you know, visit a nursing home and to visit an orphanage in, in addition to other things that we were doing, um, initially, um, that orphanage idea just really jumped out. It seems like something that would be a really exciting thing for us to do. And, and so when we went, we were, we were in different vehicles and, and we're going, had no idea what to expect. I think we all went in kind of like bright-eyed and cheery and excited about what was going to happen. But once we got in there, we were pretty messed up. Um, it was like... Um, we could never have been prepared for what we would have seen. Uh, I mean, it was not only the conditions, um, the smell, but hearing the stories, um, seeing these, it was just maybe like 15 to 20 of them, right? 15 to 20 orphans who were there. Um, All of them were in some way handicapped. And there was just a a sense of the weightiness of of the reality of um, their, their condition in that place. And to go get in that place and to sing songs of worship as we um, looked at these children and, and tried to, to, to portray the joy of, of Jesus Christ in the midst of these lives that were completely wrecked and, and devastated, but were trying to be made right through uh, the care that was given to them by the people who had invested their, their time and their energy into a thankless and, 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 and just a oftentimes demanding job where there's little support. And... I remember for as, as many of us that were there, you know, we were trying to, to hold back um, the tears, I think, for whatever different reason. I mean, we're doing skits. These are fun, exciting, childish skits. But to be crying during these, these joy-filled skits is a, is a hard thing. And then at the same time, you know, there's, there's people that, you know, we, we do life together with all the time. And then to, to be crying in front of them is, is challenging. But for as much as we tried to hold the tears in, at a certain point, it's like the dams began to break. And we all left that place looking as if it was the last night of a retreat. <laughs> like every possible hole out of which liquid could be coming out was coming out. Um, even out of the biggest guys like Isaac and James and me. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> it was, I mean, it was a pretty rough thing. And yet something deeply connected our hearts with the people in that orphanage. And I think it's in part because we're made in the image of a God whose heart beats for orphans in their distress. 
was thinking about not only um, our trip to Ecuador, but so much of, of literature and, and, and film has been, um, so, so many great stories have come out of the lives of orphans. You can't ever forget. I, I remember when I was little, uh, little orphan Annie and watching that movie and so moved by it as a little kid that we got a dog and we named it Sandy. That was the name of the dog in, in the movie. And my brother and I would play Little Orphan Annie. He would wear the wig and I'd be the dog. I'm just kidding. We did that. But I, that movie always stuck with us so much that I bought the book. It was like an adult book when I was like six. It was a, a novel and I bought it. And it had pictures of the movie in the middle of it in color. And just being so moved by it. And, and stories that we read, Madeline and, and Oliver Twist, Slumdog Millionaire, Goodwill Hunting. And, of course, the most recent Nacho Libre. But all of them portray in some way orphans in some light because we know the power of a great story. And oftentimes the backdrop of a life of an orphan becomes a powerful setup for an amazing climax. There's something about not just our hearts as believers, but as people made in the image of God that understand that this moves our hearts because it moves the heart of our maker. How closely does God relate to orphans? Let's read uh, from James chapter 1. It's going to read verse uh, 27, one verse, and then I want to explain why this is important, and then I want to get into three thoughts that are going to drive us today. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 27. This is God's word. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's word. This is very simple. Um, It's not much explanation needed. What is religion that God accepts? Pure religion, faultless religion. Right? Typically, we would think of the second part, to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Right? Don't do these things. That's what oftentimes we think as being pure and faultless religion. But James, the younger brother of Jesus Christ, says this is what God accepts. This is what pure religion is. This is what faultless religion is. This is what it is to care after orphans, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, I, I, I'm going <clears> to <throat> really zone in and hone in on this idea of orphans because in those days, widows um, were basically, they didn't have a livelihood. If, 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 if a, a woman husband died, she could not get a job. She was basically an orphan as well, left to die, right? left to be uh, whatever it is to fend for herself, unprotected and unprovided for until Acts chapter 6 when the church began to take care of the widows. But in the context that we're reading, orphans then in James chapter 1 and orphans today, they're talking about the same thing. And so when James talks about this is pure and faultless religion to look after orphans, he's saying something as universal then as it is today. And I really, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that, that all of us are, are quite ready to, to hear this. But for me, this message was something that I originally wanted to preach in 2002 but didn't. It was something I wanted to share in 2008 but didn't. And it just so happened that it's come to a point where um, I feel like it's, it's churning something within me. And I pray that in our collective hearts, wherever we are, that somewhere along the way that we would give an honest hearing to God's word. This is the kind of thing that maybe it's not going to bear fruit until years down the road. 
But at least, especially for the lives of our young people, if, if a thought could be planted in your heart, and for those of us who may be on the older side, that we could begin to, to think through, what does this mean? Like, really, what does this mean? For me, to live a life that is, is, is honorable to God, it means to look after orphans. What does that really mean? I don't think, I wouldn't imagine that um, all of us are going to go out and adopt a kid tomorrow. But there is something highly, highly practical and deeply personal about what this message has to say and about what this passage says for all of us, or else he wouldn't have said, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this. He would say, for a few of you, this is a good idea. But I also think this is important because I I was just doing a little bit of research, and I found out that National Adoption Day is this week. And it, it just so happens that it falls on the week that out of these five passions that we talk about of the heartbeat of God, it, it, fall, it happens to be today is the Day of Orphans. And this coming Saturday is the National Day of Adoption. I, I just feel like this is a message that we really need to take to heart. Whether you feel like this is on your radar screen or not, I really think that there's something that God wants to say um, to us in regards to um, his heartbeat for a very forgotten kind of people in this world. The first thing that we want to see that I want to mention here is orphan care is warfare. I'm reading this book by Russell Moore. It's called Adopted for Life. It is a phenomenal book. It is getting all kinds of of publicity um, as being just a powerful and clear uh, just teaching as it relates to the biblical pres- uh, prescription for our, our heart's care for orphans. But as I'm reading this book, there's one part in it where he says, and a lot of, um, a lot of what I share is going to be borrowed from that. But Russell Moore says in that book, when we adopt a child out of orphans, out of the life of an orphan uh, state, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. And as I thought about that, I was thinking, my first thought here that I want to share is that, is that reality. And so I said to myself, orphan care is warfare. I said, this is great. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so brilliant. How did I come up with this? And, and so I said, I'm going to email this to Russell Moore. He's going to use it in the next revision of his book, and I'm going to put it on my Facebook. And then I, I just, just for the heck of it, I Googled in quotes, orphan care is warfare. And I found out that 64 websites had beat me to it. And I realized, shoot. But all this to say, they understand the same thing. That when we care for orphans, we're engaging in warfare. You remember this part in, in Nacho Libre? And this is going to be the only remotely funny thing that I say today. But there's this part where Nacho and, and Esquelito, <laughs> just saying his name makes you smile. Nacho and Esquelito are talking. And it, it, I think it's towards the, the, the middle half to the end of the, of the movie. I, I just was watching this clip. And there's a part where Nacho's like, oh, my heart, you know, my, I love the orphans. I need to care about them. I need to take care of them. And Esquelito is upset. And he says, I hate the orphans. You remember this part? And Nacho says back to me, says, say it again. He says, I hate them. He says, say it to my face. And Esquelito says, I hate all the orphans in the whole world. And then Nacho's fed up with it. And they start wrestling. And I just I pushed pause on YouTube as I was watching this because I saw in there a beautiful picture of what is being talked about here. And Nacho Libre, and man of the cloth, a man of God. And that's funny to say, but he's a man of God wrestling with this pagan, unbelieving, orphan hater, Esquelito. And in that moment, as they lock arms, 
I saw for a moment in my, uh, in, in my mind's eye as I'm watching that YouTube screen, I see a picture of the reality of the spiritual battle that's going on, that God cares for and loves the orphans. And then there's his enemy, the adversary, who hates all the orphans in the whole world. And I, as I'm hearing this, I hear out of the lips of Escalito, the heart of Satan. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here, but let me just say, John chapter 10, Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd who comes to give life in abundance. And he talks about the enemy. He says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is the only agenda of Satan, because if he does that, he takes grounds against the kingdom of God. But stealing, killing, and destroying comes with no rules. When Satan fights, he doesn't look at your weight class and say, I'm a heavyweight, you're a lightweight, I'm not going to pick on you. He doesn't. He doesn't say, let's uh, pick on someone your own size. That has no bearing in his mind. None of that stuff matters. It's not like, okay, ready, set, go. He fights whenever he wants to fight, and especially when we're vulnerable, especially when we're not looking, especially when we're not ready, that's when he begins to attack. He does not fight fair because the only mission in the heart of Satan is to steal and to kill and to destroy, and it does not matter how he does that. And the most vulnerable of all these people are children. And the most vulnerable of the vulnerable are orphans who are, have no protection, they have no provision, they have no hope. And so Satan preys on them, and this has always been the case. You remember back in Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. This is the blessed life. God pictures forth the offspring of, of, of man and woman, children as being a blessing. And yet the twisted nature of Satan is that he takes a blessing and he turns it into a curse and gets us to think it's not a blessing, it's a curse. Remember in the, in the Exodus, okay, just a, a book later, the Israelites begin to increase in Egypt and Pharaoh is afraid that they're going to take over. And so what does he do? He says, we're going to exterminate all the Hebrew boys. And he begins killing every single one of them. But one of them survives. Moses gets adopted out of that. And he begins to lead the people of God and delivers them out of Egypt, out of slavery. See, if Moses does not get adopted, the people of God stand no chance. And generations are wiped out. For Moses to be adopted, this is spiritual warfare going on here. 1,500 years later, there's a king named Herod ruling over the Palestinian area, Israel, Judah, the promised land, the people of God. And in that place, there is a child born. They call him the king of the Jews. And the king Herod is upset. He's frustrated. He knows that he, he feels threatened by it. And so he says, all the baby boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, let's exterminate all of them. Let's abort all of them. Let's kill all of them. Spiritual warfare going on. But one child adopted by his father, Joseph, escapes to Egypt, and one child survives, and the entire world has hope again. If this child is left orphaned and dies, then the hope of the world dies with that child. When children are adopted in, this is spiritual warfare that's taken. Every time God wants to move, every time God wants to move, there's an attack on the children of that generation. Ever since 1973, when Roe beat Wade and said abortion is legal, let's make it okay. P 
people began, began to look at children, which was a blessing from God and seeing it as a curse. I can't advance my career, so let's kill this child. I can't afford it, so let's get rid of this child. Every time in human history, God wanted to move. The attack has been on children. And in the same way that was against Moses, same way as against Jesus, a generation from 1973 on is being attacked. And all around what's seen as a blessing in the eyes of God has become a curse in the eyes of people. And the tragedy is, I forgot who said this, that a child has to die in order for people to live the kind of life that they feel like they deserve to live. At what price? Because Satan's heart has always been to attack the children, the vulnerable, the one who don't have a voice. They're not going to speak up. Their, their voice cries out from the grave. Because Satan's only mission is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And we see this most clearly in the lives of orphans. Children who have been ripped from everything that they need in order to survive. It begins maybe with parents who are, for whatever reason, they can't take care of this child. Either they're, uh, they're, they're poor, they can't do anything about it. They're in prison. They're on drugs. They're addicted to something. They're in, they're in crime. Whatever the case might be, they give up these children. These children are left to fend for themselves. Again, no money, no shelter, no home, no defense, no love, no care. Oftentimes, the oldest one has to take care of younger ones. What do you do in that case? Where do you go? You go to crime. You go to selling drugs. You go to becoming a child soldier. You get trafficked. You sell your body. You prostitute yourself out so that you could survive. And then that gets perpetuated into the next generation, oftentimes coming with it deadly diseases like HIV as it's happening all over the third world. And that cycle continues, and today 153 million orphans are living like this in the world. The darling of our generation, these beautiful, precious people that God says, if they could hear, I am your beloved, your creation, and you love me as I am. But the mission of Satan is to destroy these children, and he's ruining their lives. But the heartbeat of God is different. The second thing that we see then, the second thing that I want to point out here, is that God will fight for the hearts of children. God will fight for the hearts of orphans. He has always done this. This idea of, of orphans and adoption has been in my mind for, for some time, but recently it's come back on the radar screen because of uh, Pastor Dave Lee in large part. He came and he shared with us at our adult retreat and talking about the things that are going on in his church as it relates to adopting um, and families beginning to adopt, but also because of what's happening in the lives of one of our missionaries. You guys um, know Scott and Susan Murray who've come from Japan. Scott uh, tells, uh, you know, I was talking with him a couple months back, and he said, you know, it's always been Susan and, and, and my heart to have a big family. But for the greater part of 10 years, they struggled with infertility, and they couldn't have kids on their own. And through prayer and through medicine, they were able to, to have two children, right? You met them, uh, Sydney and Taylor, beautiful, beautiful young uh, teenage girls. And yet still their heart was for, for having more children, for having a bigger family that they could love and disciple these children so that they could be difference makers in the world. And yet for some reason, the Lord didn't allow that to happen naturally. And so two years ago, they began thinking about adopting from Japan. Just God really burdened their hearts. 
right, to adopt children from Japan, many, many orphans there. And as they were praying about this, they felt like everywhere they went, the door would open and the door would close. They would be told things like, you guys are too old, or the Japanese people would not respect you if you adopt these orphans. Everywhere they went, they felt like God opened up their heart and then only to see it close. And they were devastated. They're broken. They said, God, why would you give us a heart for orphans if everywhere we go, uh, we're not allowed to, to receive them? And so at that point, it was their prayer. They said, God, if you want us to adopt, then you really need to drop it into our lap. You really need to place it into our lap because we can't deal with this heartache. And you really need to make it happen. Susan's mother is um, suffering and just stricken with, with cancer, and so she's in a hospice. And a few months back, um, the hospice worker was just telling Susan's mom, you know, there's these three, she knows this lady, she's a great aunt of three girls, two twins and another um, young, young girl. Their mom is uh, addicted to drugs, their father's in prison, and the great aunt is going to lose custody of them. And the one thing that they're asking is that a Christian family would adopt these three girl, girls. And so immediately, the two daughters, Sydney and Taylor, like, Mom, did you hear what she said? Did you hear what they said? And the process got set in motion where the kids are now in their custody and they're waiting for legal um, adoption rights of these children. But where did all this, this come from? Three years back, these two preteen girls, okay, this is like the age of some of our young people, our sixth graders here. In this age, at that age, as Sydney and Taylor were reading through the Word of God, reading through Scripture, their heart just got turned on to realize that God's heart beats with love for orphans. And they went to their dad and they said, Dad, why don't we adopt a child? And Scott apparently wasn't quite ready for that. He said, you know, I don't know if, if we want to we wanna move in that direction at, at this point. And it finally got to a place where as these girls were pouring through the scripture, they found all the verses about orphans and about adoption in the Bible. And they wrote them down on a piece of paper. And they put it on their dad's nightstand. They said, Dad, here is God's heart. And they, they drew two squares at the bottom of it, said yes or no. They said, will you at least pray about this possibility? And he couldn't deny his girls. And so he just checked yes. And a year later, this process was set in motion. But what did, what did he read on his nightstand? I, I don't, this is not exactly what he read. But this might have been what was on that piece of paper. Let me read to you God's heart. Exodus 22, 21 through 23. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Deuteronomy 10, 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Job 29, 12. I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist him. Psalm 10, 14. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. 
Psalm 27.10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Psalm 68.6, he places the lonely in families. Psalm 82.3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Psalm Proverbs 23.9-11, do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless for their defense. Defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Isaiah 117, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Hosea 14.3, in you the orphan finds mercy. Zechariah 7, 9 through 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless. Matthew 18, 5. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God's heart for the orphans bleeds throughout the pages of Scripture. You cannot read the word of God without going too far and not see that God's heart beats with passion and soaks through for the orphans in our midst. This is the heartbeat of God. This is his desire. This is his passion. And this is his longing. In fact, in in Psalm 68, verse 4, when it talks about God, David introduces God and he says to him, And he says about him, and he says about him, his name is the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been in a a context like this, but you you were here today when I introduced Jiwon to to come and share. And I said, Jiwon, this is Jiwon. She's a, a student at Dr. Phillips High School. She has a bunch of other things, but that is the main thing that right now in her life she's about. And in Psalm 68, 4, when it introduces God, it says, his name is the Lord. And when it introduces who he is, it says he is a father to the fatherless. When God wants to be introduced, his calling card, his business card, his tagline, he's a father to the fatherless. This is who he is. And Vinath Ramakandra, he's a Sri Lankan scholar, theologian, says, if you're reading this in the ancient world, you realize how backwards this is to their ears. Because to them, God always identifies with the strong, with the military leaders, with the captains, with the generals, with the kings. And when you, when you move against the kings, you're moving against their God. And the Hebrew God, the Jewish God, our God says, I identify myself with the orphans. And when you fight against the orphans, when you oppress them, you're fighting against me. That's how closely God identifies himself with the orphan and with the fatherless. This is the heartbeat of our God. And even more than you know, Jesus says in Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. That when we look into the eyes of an orphan, it could very well be that we're looking into the face of Jesus. Whose heart beats with love for these forgotten, defenseless, hurting children. This is his heart. The last thing that we see then, the last thing that I want to point out is that the church is called to join in the fight. 
throughout history, it has always been that whatever God's people receive from him, they would take that and they would give it to other people. Ephesians 4.32, forgive others just as in Christ God forgave you. 1 John 4.19, as I have loved you, you ought to love one another. Uh, Romans 15.17, as you have been welcomed by God, welcome other people. The pattern of scripture is that whatever God gives to us as a church, we're to send that out to other people. And because God has acted in this way to us, we act this way to other people. And in the early days of the church, in the Roman Empire, the view of children was so low that kids were abandoned all the time. One of the, one of the, the most popular ways of aborting children today was, was called, um, basically it was, it, the idea was called exposing. For whatever reason, if a, if, if a, if a family didn't want their baby, because they were handicapped, because they were sick, because financially they couldn't afford it, because they were a girl. They would take them out outside of the city. This is where the way people would know that they're not just lost, but they're being abandoned. They would take them outside the city gates and they would leave them. They'd be left to bake under the sun. They'd be left to freeze under the icy wind. They'd be left to get eaten by predatory animals. Infanticide was a common practice throughout the Roman Empire until 374 AD when the Christian emperor Valentinius banned infanticide and banned this idea of exposing. But for 374 years, 340 years after Jesus Christ died, there's a small group of marginalized people, the Christians, who couldn't sit still and watch this happen. They were the kind of people when they would give birth to a deformed child, even though they were in difficult economic situations, even though the circumstance surrounding their family was not good, they would keep these babies and they would love them and they would care for them and they would raise them. Even if they wanted a boy, they prayed for a boy and they got a girl, they wouldn't leave them outside the city gates. They would love them and nurture them as their own and they would pray for this child. But not only that, these Christians would be the ones who would go outside the city gates and they would find orphans that others had abandoned, that others had not fed, that others had left out to die, and they brought them in and they raised them as their own. And as they did, the Roman Empire began to take notice. And one historian, as he was talking about their care of orphans, He said, there's something divine about this group of people. What was it? Because they knew what you and I know. That we all once were fatherless, a stranger with no hope. But his kindness wakened us. The entire world, Russell Moore says, the entire world was an orphanage. And yet Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, became an orphan so that we could be adopted. Whatever we've received, the call of God on the church is that we would go forth in love. As Russell Moore in his book talks about the 
first time he went to see his adopted children in Russia. Right? By law, you have to go two times, one to fill out the paperwork, go back to America, wait for the paperwork to clear, and then you go back and you bring your children home. Two kids, one year old each. He says, as him and his wife, Maria, are walking into the orphanage, they realize that, one, it smells bad. It's, the conditions are terrible. But the thing they noticed, recognized the clearest, was that it was dead silent in there. Like quieter than a funeral home at night, just dead quiet. And so he said to his wife, why, if there's all these babies in here, why is it so utterly silent? As he walked into the room, the only sound that he could hear was the sound of babies shaking, rocking themselves to sleep. Every now and then, the walls of a crib knocking against the walls of the room. Because babies know, after a while, if they cry and no one's going to respond to their cry, they just give up. They stop crying. This eerie silence in a room filled with children. No crying they make. And so as they go in, they see their kids. The kids, one-year-old, stand up in their crib. One of them is smiling. The other one is not. They take them out, and they play with them day after day. They play with them. As they're waiting for their paperwork to be filled out, getting to know them, bonding with them, reading children's books, Cow Jumping Over the Moon, Good Night Moon, all these different books he said he's reading. The entire time, playing with toys the entire time, no noise, no, just silence. And finally, the day came for them to go back to America, for them to wait in order for the papers to be finished, for them to come back and to claim their children. They just talk about how difficult it was, that very last moment when they had to put their kids back in the crib and to say goodbye to them for who knows how long. They put them back in the crib and they walk out in the hallway and Russell Moore, the author, says his wife is just weeping, just weeping. And as she's weeping, says the next thing that happens is one of these boys falls back onto his bottom on his crib. And then he lets out the most primal cry ever. Just screams. Because for the first time in his life, he has a sense that he has a father. And he knows that his cry will finally be heard. Isn't it true that this is our story? Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, you may have read this. It says, and because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. It's the same cry that is spoken of when it says Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane cried out in loud tears, Father, if it is possible. It is a cry of the crucified. It is a cry of the orphan. But it's a cry of a child who knows that he can have a father. That's our cry as well. That's our cry. The world is an orphanage. We were all orphans. Strangers, never a hope. 
Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. First John chapter three, verse one, behold, look what manner of love, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we could be called children of God. And that is what we are. This is every one of our cries. We as a people of God went from orphaned to completely accepted, loved, cherished, forever welcomed and never to be abandoned ever again. Children of God. And the fact of adoption remains that whenever you adopt, whenever adoption happens, the world gets changed. The world of an orphan changes forever. Hopeless, no future. All of a sudden, all the rights and privileges of a natural born child. The world around begins to take notice. But more than anything, every book that I've read says the one doing the adopting is changed the most. I read this article this week about this man who was at a conference in Minneapolis, 1,200 people, all of them fighting for orphan rights. Many of them have adopted HIV-positive children. All of them in some way, some building orphanages, others going to visit orphans on mission trips, and the guy leading worship, or one of the guys on the praise team. He said, I have never been in a place where I knew that every single person worshiping was a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Makes sense. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And some people said it was electric. Some said this was like Pentecost, the sense of God's presence. We cannot get involved in orphans' lives and not be changed. What would it look like if this congregation began to be known in the Asian American or in the community at large as a place that will take your unwanted children and that will love them and will care for them? Could it be that the number of abortions could decrease and we don't just leave it up to the president to make some decision, but we take ownership over it and do something about it? If all the churches in America, if one family out of every four churches in America adopted a child, there'd be no orphans in America. And what would it look like? Maybe some of us are in a place where you can financially, you're ready to adopt. Maybe others, I, I can't do it, but if there's someone who's willing to, I will give financially in order to make that happen. And when that child comes, I will love them by God. I will love them in a way that a child has never been loved before. Maybe for others, it's getting involved somehow in, in orphan care on a mission trip or, or to just begin to dream and to think for, for those of you who have not yet figured out what you're doing with your life, to think about God, how does orphan care fit into my calling in life? But what would that look like? I would imagine and invite us all to imagine 
that in your heart, there are two boxes. One says yes, and the other says no. And the voices of orphans say, will you be willing to pray about this? We pray that we would answer in a way that would honor the heart of God. Let's pray. As let some begin to respond in your heart of hearts. That first step is right here before us. Would you be willing to pray for the sake of the orphans in our world? Just to pray and say, God, whatever that looks like, I want to take a step of obedience. I have been adopted out of a world that was deathly silent because we were fatherless. But you came and you adopted me so that I have every, every privilege that Jesus Christ had. What does that look like in our lives for us to just begin to pray and to move towards God's heart? Let's take a moment just to pray. Maybe you're, you're with your spouse, you just want to hold their hand, you're with you know, someone that these are things that you need to think about together. Let's just begin to pray. God, what does this mean? What does this look like? If your heart really does beat for this, you're not talking about just human interest or that's a sad story, but if God's heart really beats for the orphans in their distress, then maybe there's something that we can do about it. And he commissions the church to fight for them. Let's take a couple moments to pray together. As our praise team comes up, let's pray together, and then I'll, I'll close this time in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. God, how can we separate us from them? When they are us and we are them. And their stories are our stories. In a spiritual sense, but also in the truest sense. Father, we thank you that your love goes beyond human reason and it goes beyond the limits of our imagination and it causes us to, causes us to be, be stirred in wonder again. What cost 
you took upon yourself to love us so that we could be brought in to become children of God. May our past and all that you've done for us at Calvary shape our future and what you can do through us in our world. We thank you that you know our name, that you see each tear that falls from our eyes. This is our song, but it's also the song of the orphans. Convict and challenge and stir us to love as you have loved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.